This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever it is that you're streaming. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R Studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. Big thanks to Fee for the last three hours of MAPS. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by filmmaker Jack Ralph. Hey, Jack. Good evening. Hi, how are you going? I'm good. Happy Radiothon. Oh, what a place to be. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Jack, you're a keen Triple uh, R listener and subscriber, and you uh, have been on the show a few times. What do you love about community radio? I mean, for me, it's just that thing of just the instant sort of you switch on, it's there, you've got the community just, you know, on your ears, (laughs) kind of any time of the day, any time of the night, which is so unique. Yeah, Um, and such a varied audience. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) You can find a show for every taste, I think, on the grid somewhere. Exactly. (laughs) And, And this show is a great example of that. Yes, true, and uh, we've got a we've got a, quite the lineup for tonight. I mean, f- later tonight we're actually going to chat about your short film, The Roller Skater, which is yes. currently playing at the Pivo- Pivotonian. <laughs> the Pivotonian Cinema, yes. Yes, um, I love that it is uh, basically the the support act for a lot of Hollywood films like Asteroid City and Barbie as well. Correct. Um, it is a very fun film, and I'm I love that it's got the big screen. It's on the big screen for for audiences. Um, and we're also going to review a very creepy new yeah. horror on Apple TV called The Changeling, uh, one one of the many screen adaptations of this story. Uh, but first up, I had the pleasure of speaking with actor-director Rachel Ward uh, about a documentary that is going to be streaming on DocPlay Uh, later this week, I think on Thursday. Now, Rachel's Farm is an honest and engaging documentation of actor Rachel Ward's reckoning with the ecological impacts of conventional agriculture. Uh, After drought, bushfires and ecological despair, Rachel begins a, a journey of discovery to regenerate the land on her farm. It is my great pleasure to welcome actor, director and now something of an ambassador for regenerative farming, Rachel Ward. Welcome to Primal Screen, Rachel. Thank you, Felicity, for having me. 
Now, many listeners will be very familiar with your film work. You have about 36 acting credits to your name, and it was on the TV series The Thornbirds that you met your husband, fellow actor Brian Brown, who also features in your documentary. But what listeners may not know is that over the last few years, you have dedicated yourself to understanding the relationship between the land, the animals, and how we farm that land. What was the first sign that you needed to change how you were farming? Well, I was I was hit by the Black Summer fires in November 2019. So I was one of the first areas to get hit. I, at the time, I just thought, oh, I'm having my first experience of, a, of a, the classic, iconic, devastating Australian bushfire. But then it just went on and on and engulfed so much land. Obviously, it went all the way down the East Coast and, and then was in Victoria and apparently it was in West Australia as well. Clearly, this was much more than just your regular Australian bushfire. And I just had a new grandson too, uh, my, first grand, my first grandchild. And I think the combination of that just really hit me hard. And I sort of spiraled into an existential crisis where I was just felt so much despair for the future and for particularly for his future that I went, I have to weigh into this much, much in a much bigger way. I have a profile. I can do something with that. I had a farm, which I didn't know at the beginning, was A, so responsible for excess carbon in the atmosphere, but also was could be very responsible for putting excess carbon back into the soil. So I read a book called Call of the Reed Warbler by Charles Massey, who basically spoke about regenerative farming and all the early adopters of it and how much of an impact it could have. Um, and I was a filled with hope for a start. And then I was really galvanized into action. So I started with my farm manager to farm regeneratively and then decided to make a documentary about it as well. And so Rachel's Farm is the result of that. But yes, I need a good kick up the bum with the, uh, with the fires to make me realize um, how much more I needed to be weighing into this whole solution. You know, visibility plays such a crucial role in enacting change. And you, you touch upon the fact that soil is such an important indicator of the health of the land and it doesn't have the same visibility as tree planting schemes. How do we bring about this visibility to soil health? Look, I don't know. I mean, I suppose I, I, I hope that, you know, making a documentary, there's a lot out there. There's, if you go on the internet, there is so much about health, soil health and about people that are doing stuff and what you can do. It hasn't really galvanized yet into a sort of a, a major awareness. And really the awareness needs to come from uh, the consumer because actually we're all so powerful about with the dollars that we that we spend on our food that we can actually change the farming system if we become aware of what is going on in our farms. So many, I mean, most of the farms owned now by people of 65, most farmers are 65 or over. Many of the younger generation are leaving farming. Produce now is so cheap. The supermarkets have got the price is down from the producer, down and down and down. And the result of that is low prices, but it is also dreadful ecological health. So it means that the cheaper you get it, the more pesticides, the more herbicides, the more chemical fertilizers that farmers are being forced to use, use on their land and the bigger monocultures. Now, 
we all know that diversification and holding water in the soil and good soil is vital for our health and for our and for our ecology and really that's what's being shortchanged by getting food so cheap so it's you know it's a paradox because obviously on the one hand we cheer for having cheap food but we also need to be very aware of why our food is so cheap we just need to understand that for us to go okay what's it doesn't have to be more expensive but we need to be really alert to the kind of food we're buying. We really need to know our farmers, and I don't mean that um, literally, but we need to have an understanding about the fact that our food is coming from best practice farms, which is going to mean that we need to have a big change about labelling, and we really need to go onto the, o- online and find the best kind of food that we can eat because the stuff that we're being served up may look good, it may look beautiful, but it is full of pesticides, it is full of chemicals for uh, fertilizers, and it's empty of nutrients. Mm. The food that we have now, the vegetables that we eat now, have you have to eat three times as much of them to have the same kind of nutrients that you had in the 1950s. And with meat, it's double. You have to eat double the amount of, of meat to get the kind of nutrients that you got in the 1950s. You can see how it's all being, all the goodness is being drained away by this sort of chemical farming. Because three years ago, I didn't know any of this either. And it made me really get in and understand what was going on with farms. You know, it's really hard to keep small farms going. So corporates are buying up all the, all the, all the land and it's becoming huge, great monocultures with obviously the objective to be getting the food cheaper and cheaper. If we want to have good food, if we want our grandchildren to eat well or our children to eat well, we kind of have to really pay attention to what's in that food and what we're being served up. In the documentary, we have an impact campaign, which shows you if you, you go on to the impact campaign and there's a map in there, which will show you how to access all of the best food from best practice farms. We need to go to, to community-supported agriculture outlets. We need, to, we need to buy organic. We need to look on labels and see where the, where the food is from and really take that seriously. I mean, the film is, is, is much more fun than that. It sounds like it's pretty heavy and, and educative, but actually it's my journey of becoming a regenerative farmer, which I'm so happy to be now because I'm just um, way more connected to my land and my animals and... I just enjoy the whole thing of being in the country and having a farm so much more than I did before. Like you say in the in the film, you're in your 60s and going in and learning all of these new ways of being and becoming a farmhand yourselves. And there's a lot of honesty in this documentary. And you touched upon this just before about the generational change that's happening in farming. Your farm was initially managed by Mick Senior and he was using a conventional approach to agriculture, which, you know, uses synthetic chemicals and fertilisers to maximise the, the yield of the crop. But when you learn about the impact these chemicals are having on the soil and waterways, you turn to his son, Mick Jr., who has this alternative approach. It's a real change. There needs to be often quite difficult conversations in communities, but also in families. And we see that in your film. Has Mick Sr. seen the film? And is that conversation between him and his son still happening? Well done, Felicity. You you really took quite a lot away from this documentary. It's great to see. Yes, he has seen the film. I haven't actually seen him since he saw the film. Mick is no, I think they kind of avoid the subject. I mean, I know that it was a subject that they both took on early on before when Mick was 
was changing because they were both working together because they have two farms beside mine. And, you know, they had those arguments early on. And then they decide, then Mick Jr. just decided to go his own way because Mick Sr. was not interested in, in really changing the way he farmed. And that is understandable. He has farmed that way his whole life. He is now 85. It's a big thing to change the way you operate. It's like saying to a plumber, okay, you're ne- now not going to use any of the techniques that you've ever used before, and you're only now going to use a, a computer on your, I don't know, it's it's a massive change for someone. And he knows how to grow his crops for his cattle, and he knows how to produce fat cows, and that's his priority. It doesn't concern him what happens to the land in the process. And look, you have to be pretty vigilant to see what is going on with the land. I mean, it was really us seeing what was going on with our river. And we have a dairy upstream that uses a lot of urea, which is nitrogen, which is a product that is made with nitrogen and a huge amount of fossil fuel to make to turn that into urea. And it was getting into the river and it made huge algae blooms all over the river. So our river was changed from this beautiful, clear river clear running river to just chogged with um with algae with red algae all over it so you saw what was happening you saw how the farming uh, above us changed our river system so you saw what was going into the into the water table but you know unless you're really paying attention you probably don't notice that and you probably don't care because you are you've got a business and you've got to produce so much milk and and what, you know, whatever is happening downstream is kind of not your concern. I mean, what people do on their own land is their own business until it affects everybody else's land. And with the rivers, you can really see how the people upstream who are not really paying attention are affecting those downstream. Mm. And, you know, we've seen it obviously in the Murray Basin where people are extracting too much water. We've seen it in the coral reef where there's so much is synthetic fertilizer going into the water that is then again producing these huge algae blooms and just sending too much nitrogen into the sea where the um, the coral reef is. You know, there's a lot of debate around it. There isn't definite data, but it's pretty um, it's pretty clear to those of us who have seen the effects of what's going on upstream to make those connections with what is going on in the ocean and where we're getting these, um, where we're getting rivers ruined by algae and all these fish kills by all the oxygen being depleted out of the out of the rivers. For listeners who have just tuned in, I'm speaking with actor director Rachel Ward about her documentary Rachel's Farm, which is all about regenerative farming. Now, so much of Australian cinema focuses on us being at the mercy of this land and it being a brutal and a barren land, but that's simply not true. And as your documentary explains, these conventional agricultural practices have really stripped the land. And Kenny, uh, who's a First Nations man, and he describes us as each being a vein in the earth. And I think for too long we've thought of land through the lens of ownership, but the flip side of that is responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're custodians for a very brief time, obviously. I mean, it may stay in the family for a couple of generations, but essentially we are borrowing that land and um, we should really be, you know, if it's in bad condition when we take it over, it's our responsibility to to get it functioning again. 
And we need to be really careful that we don't make it dysfunctional in, you know, well, we, so we don't become completely extractive and, and, you know, and not put back the good things or not make sure that balance is in place. But, you know, there's no question that the land out there is brutal at times. I mean, we've got huge, obviously huge heat and floods and droughts and it is brutal. But there are, I mean, there are people farming now, like I've just been at this um, region agriculture conference in Margaret River, and there was a couple called Diane and Ian Hegarty down there. Now, they are total heroes in our world, in the regenerative world, because they farm right up against the, the rabbit-proof fence, which is deep into Western Australia and really marginal land. And they are able to grow extraordinary crops of, of, of wheat and, um, and sheep. And they do it in an area that most people wouldn't even bother to try. And they have it consistently, whether they have, whether they have drought after drought, they are consistently able to farm there. And it's because they just have found this way of farming that is completely regenerative. They have cover crops. They never, they never till the soil. Everything they they maximize. They have about three inches of rain a year. They maximize that rain, and they are able to grow grow crops of it and and have sheep. Uh, you know, grow, grow grow sheep. So it is possible to do if you do it in a very regenerative way. And um, they're just marvels, and they're just doing it. Everything is, and they do it with worm juice for goodness' sake. They do it. They they seed. They coat their seeds in worm juice. When they plant their seeds, they put a little squirt of worm juice in there and it's all completely natural. And there are no chemicals. They use, no, you know, they use very little chemicals on in their place. And even the government now has land that they have not been able to do anything with and they've given it to the Hegetes so that they can start producing on the land. You think it's a joke when people say you're putting worm juice on. You can just imagine every farmer rolling their eyes saying, <laughs> That's insane. And just compost juice, mm. all of that. All of these miracle things are out there, are available if we just change the paradigm with which we're farming and start to look at these these gentler ways of, mm. of working with the land. Your film reminded me of the central argument of Bruce Pascoe's book Dark Emu, which, which challenged a lot of colonial myths about pre-colonial First Nations practices. And the book provided this really in-depth detail about agricultural practices. Now, Pasco reminds us that there is a 60,000-year history of First Nations land management that has been erased by colonial invasion. How has this experience changed your understanding of the history of this land and our relationship to it? Kenny was fantastic and he was able to enlighten me to so many things and what was growing on, on the land, things that I had just dismissed, didn't understand, or, you know, things that we just dismiss as weeds. He would explain to me the the medicinal um, value of these plants and the, uh, what they used to, you know, the kangaroo grass, which they used to grind up and make make bread from. And, um, you know, just they look at it with just uh, so much complexity and knowledge. And so that was really just sort of helping me to understand what I had there and be uh, and understand the preciousness of, of it actually. So that was really his contribution to that. I mean, I'm still I've got cattle on the land, which is obviously very different from anything the First Nations had. But you know, the way that they farmed was regenerative in the sense that they would farm in an area, 
and then they would move on. They would burn and they would hunt and then they would move on so that the land had an absolutely had maximum chance to regenerate before they came back, got food from the land again. So they worked with a complete understanding that you can't overgraze, you can't overwork, you can't be just abstractive on the land. You must put back and you must give time for nature to to recover. In your documentary, you're in conversation with the land and the animals and the insects and those little dung beetles as well. Yes. But your endeavour is it's also in conversation with your immediate community and your neighbours and and hopefully this film will be in conversation with policymakers and the agricultural industry more broadly. What do you hope that this film achieves in relation to regenerative farming? I think it's just, you know, I'm just nudging the dial a little. And we've, we've got such an enormous force coming from industrial farming, coming from fake food, coming from major monocrops of corporate of farming. We need to push back against that. Otherwise, we will be bulldozed into, you know, really just, I mean, nobody wants to destroy their land. So I'm not going to say that, of course, they're out to destroy the land, but the, but the shortcuts that they take, the lack of understanding of how easy it is to debase and to destroy your land with chemicals, how bad it is for the food that we get you know we've sort of turned this blind eye that planes fly over those monocultures and and just drop in pesticides fungicides herbicides um they pour on the chemical fertilizers i mean that is entering our systems there is just no way around it we've seen exponential health issues particularly around the gut to do with the fact that we are not getting enough nutrients and we are, and our food is, has got glyphosate in it. Mm. Um, so unless we start to clear that up, that is only going to increase, I believe. Look, you know, I'm no scientist. I haven't been at this for long, but certainly from what I'm reading and the knowledge that I'm coming to, if we don't change tack, it's not going to be the right way to go. Uh, we may get cheaper and cheaper food, but we have to remember what the cost is. You know, maybe we should buy less meat, but we, when we buy meat, we should buy the best meat. We should buy grass-fed, grass-finished meat. We should not be buying um, any kind of livestock fed on corn because that means it's been in a feedlot. We shouldn't buy corn-fed. The idea of corn-fed chicken is is wrong. It's being give. It's being presented as if it's a um, a premium, and it's not. It's basically means intensive farming, and that's where the, the whole cattle gets into such a gets a, such a bad word because, of course, that corn, you know, that's where they cut down the Amazon to grow those monocultures to feed the cows. The cows should be on the grass. The car, the cows, and the pastures work symbiotically together. You need the cows to nip the grass. To keep the grass to give it in a keep it in a state of growth so that it pulls carbon dioxide by photosynthesis back into the soil because mm. we've lost so much carbon from the soil by our tilling and then you know and by our flooding and washing everything away. Mm. So unless we get that right, unless we start to treat our soil as precious rather than dirt to just kick around and blow away, you know our soil is just not going to give us the food that we, we we need to have. So it's all, it starts with the soil and it starts with covering the soil. You've got to keep that soil covered. If you have bare soil, 
it is absolutely exposed to blowing away or to washing away. And, you know, we saw at the beginning of my documentary, I have so little topsoil. It's really precious, that topsoil. So I need to cover it. I need to make sure as much water stays in it as possible. And I need to make sure my roots are nice and long so that they can reach the, the nutrients that are, in the, that are deep in the soil. It's an exciting world. And it's, it's been a, obviously a huge learning curve for me to go from being completely ignorant about this to really um, understanding what's going on and to be um, both, you know, to try and be a bit vocal about it and to, to, to get people to understand that what I've learned. I'm glad that you, you touched upon the excitement because that excitement is palpable to us, the, the viewers, because it's a really difficult space to occupy in documentary dealing with heavy topics like climate change. And it's unpleasant. And often the reason why we don't end up having these conversations is because we don't really want to engage with our role in this. And we think, oh, it's too hard. But actually watching your film and seeing the steps that you took and the fact that you were coming from a place of not realising what this was doing to the land and then doing all the studies that you did, all the people that you spoke to, all the specialists in that area. Yeah. I actually think it's really important to underline that this is, on the whole, a very hopeful documentary. Yeah, absolutely. It, there are yeah. not hopeful stories in climate change and this is really one we can get our heads around and we can run with because it is not that hard. It mm. really isn't hard to turn our soils around. Nature works incredibly quickly. It grows back incredibly quickly. But we just need to have faith that that nature will do it for us. We don't have to keep bollocking her all the time. And, you know, we don't need to hold our foot on the neck of nature. We need to get those cycles going and working for us. We've got all this cheap uh, fuel, which is the sun, which powers everything, all this cheap energy. Half of it is free. The livestock, what the livestock do with the with with the with the pastures, is all free. So it's you know we're spending an enormous amount on, on outputs. Where really, if we start to change and do this right, um, you know, and those early adopters have done it are heroic in the way that they have, you know, they have done all the trials, they have done made all the mistakes, they have made all the discoveries, and now it really is just up to us to pick up the baton and to run with it. And, you know, for people to really understand what it means regenerative farming needs and to insist on um, we need more labelling, we need, we need, we, we don't want to get into a lot of greenwashing, which is quite easy to do. We need to understand what our labels are. We need to understand, you know, maybe we just need to spend a bit more on some of that carbon at the moment, because actually in the long run, regenerative farming, product, produce from Jumet, regenerative farming should not be more expensive because you're using the sun and the livestock for free. So in the end, it should be cheaper, but it means it's, we've got, we get stuck on our food chains because all of the stuff in the middle is what costs so much. So at the moment, the food in the supermarkets is actually really cheap and the, and, and the producers are, all the farmers are just going under because the food is so cheap. But where the, where the cost comes out is all the middlemen, all of the abattoirs and the processing and the travel. That's where all the cost is. So we can actually produce meat very cheaply, and, but we need to find better ways of getting it to people. And really, we need to cut out the middlemen. Mm -hmm. We need to go direct to the farm. So people need to find out where they can buy meat direct from farmers. And there are lots of them out there. And vegetables, you know, you buy your vegetable boxes. 
I went to that fantastic organic farm that you have in, in, in Melbourne, in the heart of Melbourne. Beautiful food. And they send out boxes of delicious, fresh, organic food, organic vegetables every day. The more we demand that, the more farmers will start, will have to start producing it this way. We need to go out of business because once the retailers get a hold of this, once we start demanding it and the re retailers start demanding it, then the farmers will be paid properly and we will be able to, I mean, we've got to do something with those middlemen because they're the ones mm. that are, you know, obviously upping the price enormously. But if you can cut them out and go direct to your farmers, get that meat direct from farmers, you know, freeze it. You buy a whole, you buy a whole box, you freeze it, you've got it for the month. A little bit harder for vegetables, but not impossible. True, very true. Rachel, it's been such an honour to speak with you. Your film, Rachel's Farm, so from the 14th, it will be streaming on Doc Play. I'm really excited for it to have a wider audience. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Felicity. I'm so, uh, I'm so thrilled you get it. <laughs> <laughs> you would have heard my conversation with actor-director Rachel Ward about her documentary, Rachel's Farm, which is all about regenerative farming. Um, it is still, it was playing at the cinema more recently, wasn't it, Jack? It it's actually it? still playing at the Pivotonian Cinema. Oh. Yes. So I know you can catch it there if you want to see it on the big screen. That, and I would recommend, I feel like it's going to get, it's, it's a, it was a very intense conversation, but I actually think it's a really, it's important to, to mention. It's really quite a hopeful and really fascinating film. Uh, I hope people do check it out. It will later be streaming on Docplay, but it is really lovely to visit your local cinema. Um, something else that is playing at the Pivotonian is your film, Jack. What a segue. <laughs> it's, it's the dream. I'm smooth. <laughs> yes. So tell us. Um, well, first, before we get into your short film, The Roller Skater, tell us first about how you got into film. So, I mean, you know, I, I was just always into filming things as a kid, just stupid films. Um, I think I was thinking the other day I made a film with a friend called Skeleton Face and Mystery Man, which is basically about Austin Powers. It's, it's, <laughs> and I think that theme for me is just never left, that sort of like kooky 70s style. Um, and... And, and I guess leading on from that, like, I then sort of did it through high school, studied it at uh, Swinburne TAFE and then did the Bachelor at Swinburne. Um, TAFE was amazing. I can highly recommend it over the Bachelor, but it was still really cool. Um, and then just have just been doing it. Uh, I, I edit sort of um, in the advertising and, and, and that sort of world and then do my own thing sort of just outside of that. Um, but I guess to bring it to, like, the roller skater, I, I think what I – got to thinking recently was like why did I film things as a kid like why did we make mm. and, and it's the same for so many filmmakers like you just had a mini dv camera mm. and you just go out and film stuff and so me and my friends started doing that after work we just filmed something spontaneously like we're just kids again mm. and make stupid videos and then we're like well what like we really enjoy this it's quicker than making a short film you know which you still should do or or, or feature film um and then one day I was having a drink with an old friend of mine and uh, someone came up to, to grab a cigarette and I asked the guy what he, you know, who he was, what he does. And it turns out he was the, the owner of a local cinema in Geelong called The Pivotonian. And um, I I'd kind of had this idea bubbling of making shorts before features and they play before features. And um, I, I was like, hey, would you do this? Would The Pivotonian be interested? And he was like, mate, you know, as long as you can send me a DCP file, 
I'm happy. Which is, <laughs> did a digital cinema package. And I was like, I can send a DCP. That's fine. Uh, so we went away and um, with uh, a longtime filmmaker friend of mine, Adrian Apple, uh, and a producer, Lawrence Phelan, who helped make this film, uh, we, we kind of came up with two films to sort of spearhead this idea. Mm. which is The Roller Skater and then The Realtor, which is coming up in about a week. Mm. And I absolutely love the that combo of having the short film played in a cinema. And, and we we do see this happening for a lot of the programming at Melbourne Cinematheque. We see this at festivals, but we don't see this happening on a regular basis at cinemas normally. Um, and I think that whole idea, we, we're going to, do a, um, talk about the roller skater in a moment and I think one of the things that stood out to me is that you really capture so much of Geelong in the roller skater uh, and, and just the local fix of that. Um, before we get into that, though, I should mention to listeners that we are going to be – we have got a giveaway tonight, which we will be yes. reading out in just a moment. Um, so this is a reason for for – you to subscribe because we have lots of very cool giveaways throughout the year, lots of events happening. Uh, so I'm just going to read out some of the subscriptions that we've got coming through now. Uh, a shout out to Emily Fox from Seddon, who is renewing a passionate renewal to respect the rock. Emily says, ah, 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 is life itself. Uh, we've got Carissa Linden from Frankston South. Um, renewing to maps uh carissa says thanks for another fantastic year of top shelf music and trevor bailey from preston is renewing to get down trevor says love your work sean murphy from ashwood is renewing to astral glamour philip doherty from werribee is a new subscriber to on the blower and Philip says, we need more bigsies. Oh, very true <laughs> words have been spoken. Uh, and Dan, sorry, Dan Bowron from Frankston North is renewing as an artist, which you can do. There's lots of different subscriptions that are available. Uh, to the party show with a donation as well. And Dan says, forever fantastic and always excellent. Keep on rocking on. And also Jennifer, sorry, Genevieve Bernstein from Coburg is renewing and also with a donation. So thank you for those subscriptions and those donations. You can head to rrr.org.au to subscribe for as little as $40 a year, which I don't, I'm bad at maths. I think that's like less than a flat oh, white a month. That's so little. <laughs> that's so little. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and, you know, we've had quite a few passionate subscriptions Um uh, you know, across over the last few weeks. But, you know, we do rely on these subscriptions to keep Triple R on the air. And one of the things we try to do at Primal Screen is showcase um, not just uh, the big films but also our local talent. And, Jack, you are well and truly part of that local film community, so it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. I, I really love that The Pivotonian is currently screening the Roller Skater, your short film, and you mentioned next from next week there will be uh, a second one. Yes, the realtor. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the realtor, <laughs> which is about sort of uh, it's made a commentary on the rental crisis set against a Western sort of backdrop, um, and that one's been directed by Adrian Apple, who's also part of what well, what we call sort of the Bezel Mop uh, world of, of films, which is which is the name we've conceived for this series of short films, basically. Okay. Um, and, 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 but to bring it back, it is all about that community thing. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I think the response locally has been amazing um, because 
it's just everyone sees their local cafe, which in this case is Funk, Mary Jane, who stars in it, the local barista and roller skating, you know, legend. Um, and people know these things and people yeah. see it on their local screen and just respond so well. Yeah. So it's the same with radio. You, you hear local things being spruiked and it's just, it's next level. You just can't beat it. It's so true. And it is it is really lovely to see this on screen and to see our city on screen. Um, make sure you head to the Pivotonian to catch Jack's film, which is currently on at the moment, and next week, The Realtor, which we'll be playing for a few weeks. Um, for filmmakers, for cinemas who want to get involved with this, Jack, where, where should they head? Yeah, look, well, I think... You know, we're open to getting more directors on board and, yeah, more cinemas. If, you, if, you're, if it sounds like something you want to do, we want to make more films. So I think, look, any of the socials, you can just hit at Bezelmop, which is B-E-E-Z-A-L-M-O-P, <laughs> Bezelmop. Uh, or you can go to Bezelmop at gmail.com and, and hit us up if you have an idea or direct or we just want to make the filmmaking world, you know, we're not make these opportunities outside of film festivals, basically. Oh, I love that. I think it's a real value add on both sides. It's fantastic for filmmakers to get their work up on the big screen, but it's also fantastic for cinemas um, that can say to their audiences, hey, we're we're also showcasing and supporting local talent. 100%. On tonight's show, we've we've talked... uh, We've talked, uh, we've had some interviews, we've had some discussions about our local film community and it's now time for a review of The Changeling, a new horror fantasy series that's created by Kelly Marcel and directed by Melina Matsukas, or at least the first episode is. And it is based on the novel of the same name by Victor Lavelle uh, and it's currently streaming on Apple TV. Uh, many listeners will know Melina Matsukas as um, the her, for her directorial debut, Queen and Slim, which again features a black couple at the centre, uh, Jodie Turner-Smith and Daniel Kaluuya. However, in The Changeling, we have the wonderful Lakeith Stanfield, uh, I'm a big fan of him, and uh, Clark... Uh, Black Bacco uh, as his partner. Um, Jack, this is such a tricky TV series mm. to <laughs> discuss and not ruin. We're not going to give any spoilers, don't worry. Um, I've heard a few reviews refer to this as a romance, which sits really uneasy for me because I felt like some of the behaviour by the couples, on particularly the men in both the couples, is quite... Um, Oh, look, it's just – it sat a bit uneasy with me. The film – sorry, the film. The TV series is has two time periods, at least mm. at this stage, and they're looking at um, – how these different characters are influenced by their past Uh, and for both of them they open with the wooing of a woman who otherwise seems to be not keen on going on a date um, and they don't take no for an answer. Uh, What did you make of The Changeling? Yeah, look, I think we're talking before how it is like I wouldn't even thought of it as a romance before you described it as one. Well, that's what a lot of yeah. reviews are focused on. I think as the trailer has that element to it. Totally. I think it's important to note it is kind of quite controlling behaviour. I don't know mm. how I, – I haven't watched as many episodes as you. I'm not sure how it's going to eventuate. But it, it's definitely more in the horror fantasy. Oh, yeah. I feel like it gets less romance as it goes on. <laughs> and, I mean, and, and you're right. Like I'm, it is heavy on – it is horror. It's heavy on like the folklore, mm. on, the, on this mythology of the changeling. Even mm. like I kind of forgot about it until just then, but the opening scene of the boat sort of traveling on the waves, which 
I've, I've sort of forgotten about until now. Mm. So it's tying in all these elements, different time periods. It's quite like a, uh, it's quite like a multi-layered series. Uh, I'm up to episode three. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it is just sort of, it kind of just keeps delving down and getting darker and, and grittier and, um, yeah, the folklore aspect I really do enjoy. The horror yeah. less. I'm not a big horror fan, but it's good to challenge yourself. I'm also such a scaredy cat, so I don't deal with it. And it, I, we should mention that the it's hard to know where it's going to go, but mm. it could possibly be... Um, you know, po- about postpartum despair. Uh, it could be something darker. I agree. I really love the folklore aspects of this show and it is very uneasy. Um, I- I'm just not sure where... I mean, the folklore stuff is really interesting. Like the ch- idea of the changeling is basically uh, a warning to parents not to leave their baby unattended mm-hmm. um, or else something very bad will happen. And so the- there's that at the centre of this this story. But it goes into really different spaces and I think it's really interesting that they've decided to go with um, Matsukas for for the directorial, for, for, as the director, because she br- does bring something, some fantastic energy. And we mentioned um, Lakeith Stanfield. So, oh, my gosh. M- yeah, adore <laughs> this man. So many listeners will perhaps know him from Atlanta, uh, the TV series. Um, another one, Sorry to Bother You, came out a few years back. Uh, he's just really good. He's also in Knives Out. He's done so many so many, so many interesting choices yeah. as well. I feel like he's very experimental as an actor and he picks up lots of really interesting roles. Uh, Jack, you pointed out off air the fact that he's an executive producer, so he's backed yes. this, this TV series. Um, just a really excellent presence on screen and he's acting against uh, Car- um, Clark Bacco. Uh, as his wife and I just thought they had such chemistry on screen like very natural acting they really do and, and I think it's kind of what what I found really clever about is because I think we're drawn to Lakeith just through exposure to him yeah. as, as a person as an actor so you kind of trust him a lot so I think anytime Clark does anything dubious mm. which I'm not saying she does but like you know you sort of, I, f- I feel like you, you you trust her maybe a little less mm. and maybe that's I, and that could just be me you know, That's just loving very the interesting. But I, yeah. I feel like because you love him so much, maybe as a person, and this is just me speaking, maybe it's like anything a bit eerie that mm. that um, Clark does sort of kind of it, it goes really heavily on her. Yes. Well, we should mention. So um, Lakeith is Apollo. Uh, Clark Bacco is Emma, his wife. Uh, they have a child together. I think that whole thing of motherhood as a source of horror is obviously a very well-worn path. Um, but it's really interesting that you touch upon that. I think there is something really about Becco's performance mm. that adds, adds a bit of edge. She's sort of a mysterious. She's the one that goes over to Brazil, gets um, this red bracelet that cannot be broken yes. off on her wrist. <laughs> Another dubious character. <laughs> I know. Um, there's lots of swirling imagery. Mm. I'm not sure yet whether it plays out that well. I'm not sure how I feel about this TV series. You're a few more eps into it than me. Um, I'm guessing... Yeah, how, yeah. What are your thoughts on who this will appeal to? Uh, look, I think you know if if you do really like, I think to bring it back to Atlanta quickly, mm. um, you know, like Darius in that who Lakeith plays, like it it really delves. Some of those episodes do get really dark, and it sort of mm. is that darker side of America. And um, so, if, I feel like if if you sort of like the gothic, the the folklore aspect, I, we do say horror. Like it's very, it's probably more of like a thriller or suspense. 
heavy thing than a than a horror all the time through. Um, you know, and it's modern days. So it's set in New York. Mm. It, it's kind of set against this modern backdrop, which is quite interesting and quite. My partner pointed out almost like David Finch's Seven, really yeah. gritty, like lots of like yep. rain, it seems, all that sort of thing. So I think if you like a mystery, if you like a bit of like mythology thrown in, I think this will be probably quite appealing to you. And three episodes in, I think the adventure of what is going to happen is really crystallizing itself. Mm. I can feel like a bit more of a, a direction for Lakeith's character coming through. Yeah. Um, which at the start, you get, you get fed so much stuff. So I think it's kind of really... It, Seems to be pushing in a good direction now. Okay, that's exciting to know. I'm going to persist with it. I have found it quite <laughs> disturbing. Um, I think uh, there's just a lot in there. It mm. feels very rich. Uh, and th- oh, we should mention there's already a second season that's been bankrolled. Oh, wow. It's already happening. So, yeah, more to, more to look out for, for that. Uh, the Changeling is It's currently streaming on Apple TV and um, – I think, yeah, well worth checking out. I think there's – I kind of want to see where the discussion goes with this, but, yeah, well worth checking out. It is, of course, Radiothon here at Triple R. We've got some more subscriptions that have come through. um, And so before we we finish up and hand over to Jace, I'm just going to read these out. Um, Thank you to Ryan Gray from Reservoir, who's renewing to Brutal Realms and giving us a very lovely donation. And to Bob Hirano from Drysdale, who – is renewing and also throwing in a donation. Uh, we really do appreciate all of the donations, all of the, the subscriptions. We have kept the rate for subscriptions the same. We understand that the cost of living has gone up and it is challenging for a lot of our listeners. Um, so thank you so much for your support. Um, on tonight's show, we talked a bit about um, community in different forms. Um, I spoke with Rachel Ward about uh, her doc documentary uh Rachel's Farm which is all about regenerative farming uh we which is currently uh sorry this Thursday will be playing on um Doc Play and is also in cinema theaters (laughs) currently and another film that is playing uh at the Pivotonian a local cinema in Geelong is your film Jack the uh, roller skater. The roller skater. And next week, the realtor. Um, so please do check that out. And we finished up with Apple TV's new horror drama, um, The Changeling, which uh, is, I think that all all of season one is up now. Is that right? Oh, at, least, at least a least, few. Yeah, at least up to episode three or four. There's a fair yeah. few to dig into. Um, so thank you for... for um, tuning in tonight for subscribing for donating jack it's been a pleasure chatting film and tv with you thank you so much for having me it it means a lot to come on triple r and and um you know just quickly like you can spend money on so many things but really you know it's about the community spend that you put in and it's what that's what you get back i think a lot of the time and and you'll never regret it yeah at the end of the day no yeah i really appreciate and i we yeah couldn't have said it better myself Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 